podcast. This is your host, Pastor Justin Dean, pastor of Sacred City Church in Davenport, Iowa. This podcast is all about helping you follow Jesus in the normal, everyday rhythms of life. And the last few weeks, what we've been trying to do is build out for us kind of why study the Bible, um, how to study the Bible, some tools that we need to study the Bible. And we're kind of continuing in that same vein today. And we want to give you a four-step approach to studying Scripture that will help your time alone with God be fruitful, um, that it's, it's very simple. This is, I, could, I would call this Bible 101, okay? How to read your Bible 101. And we'll come back uh, later with kind of a 201, how to go to a little, a little bit deeper. But for your daily time alone with God, um, this is kind of the steps that you're going to, uh, to go through. Now, I'm going to assume you've already listened to the last two podcasts and you already know kind of the, the six or seven things that we gave you to prepare for your time alone with God. Um, I'm just going to assume that you've already listened to that podcast. If you haven't, go back and find that podcast, listen to this one. Um, but today we're just going to go start small. We're thinking you got a 10 to 20 minute by 10 to 20 minute time alone with God. How do you use that time? Right? How do you use that time uh, whenever you've got it? And on the podcast with me today, once again, I've got our deacon of worship, Joel. Hello. I've got our pastoral resident, Bryson Amex. How's it going? And I've got my pastoral assistant, Kevin Noor. Hey, everybody. All right. So <clears throat> this is my um, four-step approach, okay? Having a good time alone with God. TOG is what my youth pastor called it. <laughs> T-A-W-G. Time alone with God. He'd say, did you have your tog today? <laughs> like, all right, I did it. So <clears throat> your time alone with God. First thing I recommend us doing, again, getting all the other stuff out of the way. I, I always want to preface it with, you know, get your place and get your coffee and get your stuff. But once you sit down and you open that Bible and you've got that Bible, the first thing that you should do is just pray and say, Father, <clears throat> I need you. I need the Holy Spirit, that I'm tired, that I am weak, that I am busy, I am stressed, I am anxious, I am fearful. Whatever it is in you, you're acknowledging in one sense that you are not fit in the moment to read and understand the scripture rightly. Hmm. You're not a clean vessel in the moment. You are not open, you're closed maybe, whatever. You just acknowledge your need. So begin your, your time alone with God every single day by acknowledging your need and asking God, saying, God, I want to see Jesus today. I want to see more of Jesus. I want to understand the gospel. I want to understand your word. I want to understand you. I want to be led by the Holy Spirit. And I'm coming to the word today at hoping that you'll speak to me. Come into the word today knowing I won't get anything out of this that the spirit kills, but the, that the letter kill, I'm sorry, I'm not, the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. Mm -hmm. So if I just read this Bible in a certain way, it will actually do damage to me unless the spirit would open my eyes and uh, enable me to understand it rightly. Okay. So I, I always just say in this little time, include all the Trinity, pray to the father through the son and the power of the Holy spirit, mm -hmm. asking all of them, to open your eyes to his infallible word that he wants to speak to you today. All right, so if you do that, it puts you in a right position, a right attitude of heart, and it also just 
engages the Trinity, it's like, okay, it's on now. Yeah. You know what I mean? You're asking God. You're saying, God, I'm a willing vessel. I'm open to you. Speak, Lord. Your servant listens. Mm. You know? Your servant has, has open ears. And it can be trite and, and it can be liturgical and it can be just kind of like going through the motions, but still you are starting your Bible time rightly. So it, it positions you in a good spot. Okay? First thing you do, you just pray, you ask the Spirit to help you. Second thing you do is whatever text you've got, you obviously, you read it. And the, 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 the practice of reading is really observation. That's really, so step one is pray. Step two is observation. What do I see? So when I say, what do I see? What do you guys think I mean? What, what are you looking for? I mean, it depends on where you're at in the scriptures, I guess, but they usually there's a, you're trying to get like a lay of the land. So there's what, what characters are here? Maybe what's, where am I picking up from? In the, you know, what was, what was, what was before this? Trying to remember, get, get your center right. Uh, observing maybe uh, what what's to me the tone maybe of of the of the text uh, where am I what what is God saying is there is he telling me to do something is he uh, am, I, am I receiving something that he has done uh, just trying to get a general lay of what yeah what, so what is it that I'm reading so it's interesting the more studied you are. In any field, the more things you observe, okay? If you take a normal person out in the woods and you take them on a six-mile hike or something or even a one-mile hike and you bring them back and you say, what did you see? They say, like, I saw trees and dirt. (laughs) Trees and dirt. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, they're looking down at their feet at the trail and they're looking at trees around them and all they're thinking about is how tired they are and they're breathing and and they have no idea. And if you take an experienced hiker, he's going to say, he's going to have 10 different birds that he saw, maybe a couple different animals, some tracks. He saw some tracks in the ground. He saw this type of tree and that type of tree and that type of leaf. And he saw this stream. And then did you see that rock, that one rock? And you're like, what rock? There was <laughs> bunches of rocks. And he's going, to, he's going to observe a lot more things, okay? When you look at your engine, if you're not a professional, you see what? Uh, that's an engine and some tubes. <laughs> yeah. You take your mechanic. What does he see? He sees a catalytic converter. He sees a carburetor. He sees these clamps. He sees these hoses. He sees this timing belt. He sees all these different things. Okay. So when you first come to the Bible and you, in your first step or after prayer, so second step is observe. You're like, I see words. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. Yeah. But Joel's already pointed out there's more than just words there. There's characters, there's context, there's um, questions, there's declarations, there's commands, there's um, gospel, there's um, all kinds of different things that you can observe in the text. So what you're asking first and foremost, you're asking this 
of the text, but you're asking it of yourself. You're saying, what do I see in this passage of scripture? Okay. And so you could say, who's speaking? What are they saying? What's going on? Where are they? You're, is anything repeated? Why is this one word? Why does he say the same word six times? Right? You're noticing all these details. And it's here where you, where you would also go, um, I don't know what that word means. I've yeah. never heard that word before. Hmm. So I need to Google that word or I need to look that word up somewhere. I, don't just rush past it. First thing you want to do is just observe. Bring in all the facts. Bring in all the facts that you can possibly, possibly bring in of this specific text. You could ask yourself, does anything jump out at you? Does anything stand out? Like I already said, is there a word repeated often? Is there a word you don't understand? Is there a person that you're like, who is this guy? That's just being kind of like inquisitive of the text and saying, not just like reading real fast, but going, who is Melchizedek? Yeah. That, that one question can make your Bible time so much more interesting. Yeah. Because you might just stop right there and go look up Melchizedek in the back of your Bible and, and go mind blown. and have your freaking <laughs> mind blown and go, wait, is this Jesus? Jesus? <laughs> he seems a lot like Jesus. This Melchizedek guy doesn't have a mother or father and no ancestry, and they're giving tithes to him before he, the tithes were even commanded in Scripture. Who is this Melchizedek? It could be a Christophany. could be Jesus. That, that leads you to amazing insights. Amazing, just, it's interesting. It's really interesting. So the first thing you're doing when you're reading any text is you're just asking what. What of the text? Um, what do I see? All right? Now, if you want help in this, I don't know if there's any better help in just the what, seeing what's there, then John Piper's look at the book. Uh, yeah. He calls it look at the book. He's got basically an iPad and a digital Bible, and he's underlining, he's, he's exegeting a text is the big word. I won't, but he's showing you how he gets things from a certain text and how he's interpreting that text and understanding that text and what is actually there in that text. And he highlights and circles and points. And, and so just Google, look at the book and you can go, I think it's on, it's got its own website. Maybe it's from desiring God. And, and a lot of the times if you're studying a specific, he hasn't gone through the whole Bible, but if you're studying a new Testament passage, that's kind of familiar he will have a look at the book segment that you can watch the video of him studying that text. Mm -hmm. And it is so informative, especially if you're a visual learner. Mm -hmm. It's a, a just amazing way mm -hmm. to learn how to observe what an expert would observe. Yeah. So again, if you take a expert out into the forest, he's going to see the ants and the beetles, and the bugs, and he's flipping over things and seeing all, he's going to see even more than just the average hiker, or the expert hiker is going to see, right? Yeah. That's a John Piper. Yeah. 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 Um, just real quick, how would you counsel somebody, if they're doing, say, a Bible in a year plan, 
And so that's usually multiple chapters in a book or even a couple different books in the Bible. So you have your theoretical person, 20 minutes of Bible time, 30 minutes. How do they balance that um, great point. observation in a faithful way? Yeah, so honestly, if you only have 15 to 20 minutes and you're doing the M. Cheney Bible reading plan, you're not going to ask, you're not going to follow those threads very often mm. because you're trying to get through four or five chapters a day and it's just not possible in 20 minutes. Mm. But if you're doing a New Testament reading plan or reading through a book of the Bible or maybe you've only got a section of five scriptures and you're really wanting to spend 15 minutes in this five scriptures in Galatians, mm-hmm. then you're going to have plenty of time to do that. Mm-hmm. So sometimes there's breadth over depth, right? Sure. Sometimes you're just trying to get through it, trying to get the Because it's helpful to understand the big picture, you know, because once you understand the big picture, the whole, how the whole Bible reads, then it's going to help be helpful to understand how each individual book fits in. So that's a very helpful question. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So again, first thing we do, just pray, ask the Holy Spirit to help us, ask God the Father, Son, help us. Then second thing we do is observe. What's going on? Who's writing? What words are used? Mm-hmm. What don't I understand? Et cetera, et cetera. You mentioned in the last one of the other podcasts about this, the Bible Project too. So if you're asking yourself the question, who is Paul or who is Peter, if you're in those books, they do a really good job. If you look up the Bible Project on YouTube, I think they probably have mm-hmm. every book of the Bible at mm-hmm. this point, and it's illustrated and really cool, and they do a really huge overview of the whole book, but also get kind of down to the nitty-gritty details. Yeah, if you're reading any book of the Bible and you don't really get it, go watch the Bible Project yeah. five-minute overview of that book, and it's going to help you immensely to understand how that what that book is doing and how that book fits in the canon of scripture. Yeah. It's in the whole story. Yeah. So great point. All right. So just, we're asking what we're asking what, and here's the other thing, Kevin, what you might do, you could read those five chapters and really only observe one passage. Mm. There's like one chunk that kind of stood out to you. And so you go back to that one chunk and go, okay, what's going on here? What's God saying here? What does this mean? Mm. You know, or actually just what? And then the next step is called interpretation. Um, so your first thing you're asking is, what is here? Mm-hmm. What words? Who's speaking? All that, right? The next thing, now this is important, guys. You're going from observation to interpretation. So you're going from what, so what is there, to what does it mean? And that's a big, that's a big jump that you have to make because obviously this was written in Greek, Hebrew, and Aramaic. And it's been translated for us into English language. And so there's some difficulties in that. And then we're reading it in a 21st century mindset. And so sometimes what is there, that when we go from what is there to what does it mean, we make mistakes. We make mistakes in interpretation. Mm-hmm. What does this mean for me? Um, and sometimes that right, what I just said there would be an easy way to make mistake because what does this mean for me? I read this phenomenal quote this week and it said, scripture is not a picnic where the authors brought the words and you bring the meaning. Okay. Scripture is not a picnic where the authors brought the words and the reader brings the meaning. Mm-hmm. Uh, I wish Alex was with me today because I, when I was discipling Alex um, probably nine years ago now, 
I was teaching him how to read the Bible and how to understand the Bible, how to interpret the Bible. I was going through this with him. And we'd be looking at the text, and he'd be looking at the text, and I'd be like, okay, what does it say? And he'd go through, and I'd go, okay, what does it mean? And then he would look up in the sky. I was just going to bring this up because you did the same thing with me in Omaha like 10 or 11 years ago. We'd be doing Porterbrook, looking at a Bible thing, and you'd be like, what's that mean? I'd literally look up at the sky, and you'd be like, why are you looking up? You'd get so frustrated. (laughs) Oh, I don't know. I'm trying to think of the answer. Yeah, okay, but we're so ingrained in thinking that the interpretation somehow lies within me. Yeah. The interpretation is right there in the text. And so, yeah, you did it 11 years ago. Tate did it nine years ago. He would look up in the sky and be like, well, what I think that means is, I'm like, no, no, no. There is no, I think this means. You're going to find the meaning in the text. The meaning is going to be in the text. The way he phrases it, the way it works with the preceding chapter or the preceding paragraph before it or what's coming after it. There's going to be a logical flow of thought. The meaning is found present in the text, not in your own understanding, mm-hmm. right? And so sometimes you're going to go to the text and you're like, I, I just, I don't get it. And so what you're going to have to do is go to that next step and open up that study Bible or open up that commentary And then the scholar is going to show you how it connects to the whole. And you're going to go, oh, now I see what it means. And it's not from the scholar's interpretation. It's from the text of Scripture. He's putting it together from the text of Scripture. Now, I think this is probably where most of us go wrong. A lot of times because we come to the Bible and we're so quick to make the Bible about us. And so we just want practical application right away. We want to, we want it to mean something for me right away. And so we, we, we rush through this, this difficult step sometimes of interpretate interpretation in, in its historical and literary context. We jump past it and we go, what does it mean for me? So and this is the, this, the joke I always, I always say like, or the easy concept, you read David and Goliath, right? Yeah. Mm. And, and you read that story and then you, you immediately go, you know what? I think my boss is Goliath. My boss is Goliath. He's the big guy in power trying to hold me back. And then you start saying, you know, I think I'm David. I'm David. I wonder what my five, I wonder what my smooth stones are. I wonder how do I, how do I slay my giant? <laughs> what, what is that? What does that mean for me? Hmm. You know what? I think, and then we're just kind of like, putting ourselves in the Bible characters and kind of coming up with our own interpretations. And I remember Bob Thune told me when I was in Omaha, one of the most helpful statements that I heard was that the Bible is, is not primarily about you. The Bible's not about you. The Bible is about God. And it's about what God, who God is, what God has done, what he's doing, what he's going to do. And, and Bob would say this. I don't know if you remember this, Joel. The Bible is written for us, but not to us. Yeah, yeah the whole, it's God's love letter to you. No, it's not. <laughs> no, it's not. It's for you. Yeah. It's yeah, for the you. Bible is not God's love letter written to you. Yeah. There is no to Justin in the Bible, okay? Each book was written by an author to a specific audience. That audience, specific audience, was not you. Primary audience was not you, right? Moses is writing the Pentateuch to the Israelites, not to you. 
Now we can learn from it. We can see it. But it's the goal of the Bible is to teach primarily the gospel and what God has done to save us in Jesus. But it is helpful to us and it's helpful for us and it is written in a way that was, um, it's for us, but it's not to us, mm. right? So when I'm interpreting the story of David and Goliath, first off, I would say, well, what is there? Right, that's the first step. For I pray, ask the Holy Spirit, tell me, and then I say, what is there? Okay, David or, or Saul is disobedient from God and the anointing has been taken from Saul. And the, the anointing has been placed on this little guy, David, this l- the least of all of his brothers, this unsuspecting person. Mm-hmm. And he is bold in his relationship with God. And then we've got Goliath defying the armies of God. And Saul, the big strong man, the people's champion, refuses to go out and confront this guy. And then this little guy who's been anointed by God and who believes God's just going to take care of him. He's just got this blind faith of like, hey, you know what? God's taking care of me with the lion and the bear when I'm out in the field. He's going to take care of me with this freaking Philistine too. Bring it on. Let's go. And then he gets his five smooth stones and his slingshot and he walks out and they all laugh at him. And there's a bunch more details that go on. He slings that slingshot, drops that giant in his footsteps, walks up, cuts his Head off. This is why you need to read your teenage son's The Real Bible and not the Jesus Storybook Bible, okay? Mm-hmm. The real story is way cooler, okay? <laughs> Cuts his head off with his own freaking sword, holds that head up, and is like, who wants to defy the armies of the living God now? And the Philistines turn and run, and his brothers are filled with courage, and, you know, and David's the champion, right? Mm-hmm. But when you read that story... First off, in its historical context, you realize that this is all about God and the anointing. It's not about David pulling himself up by his bootstraps or David just David having natural gifts and talents of a super tactical warrior. This is about the anointing of God on him. And then secondly, this is, about, this is pointing forward to the ultimate nobody, mm-hmm. right, who would kill the giant of sin and death, mm. right? And that is Jesus Christ. Yeah. That Jesus cuts the head off the serpent. Jesus cuts the head off the snake. Jesus cuts the head off the enemy. And he does it not just for one battle, one victory in battle. He does it in the ultimate victory, the eschatological battery, battle of all time. Mm-hmm. So David is the, you know, the, so Jesus is the true and better David, we would say, right? But now, <clears throat> so when we read that story, it's pointing forward to Jesus. But that does not mean we can't find some personal encouragement that, you know what? If I put my faith in, faith in God, um, I can overcome some difficulties in my life. Sure. Yeah. You, you can say that. But here's the problem. You also have to say, like, well, what if I don't have faith like David? Well, there's other characters in that story, like the Israelites who are shaking in their boots and afraid to go out for battle and hiding and afraid. So... Maybe you're that guy. <laughs> <laughs> more times than not, probably. More yeah. time, more yeah. times than not. Yeah. We're King Saul. We, we we think we're better than we are. We think we're more confident than we are. We look down on people with more faith than we do, like little David's. Yeah. Like, come on, boy, you're not you're lacking wisdom. Yeah. So there's lots of different characters we could be. To assume that we're the David in that character and every character in our life is a misapplication and a misinterpretation of the text. <clears throat> okay. Yeah. Just real quick, um, are there any dangers in either over or under relying on commentaries in a study? Mm. 
Well, a commentary, again, is a secondary source. The good thing about good commentaries is they're working with a primary source, mm. Scripture. And there's a big difference. So there's somebody like, I'll just say it, there's like the devotional author called Jesus Calling. And I would completely stay away from that and reject that and get away from that. I think it over-personalizes the Bible and Jesus and God and everybody else. <clears throat> and it, it does exactly what we're saying not to do. It makes the Bible about us and not primarily about Jesus and the original authors in the original context. So I think yes and no. Um, so when I'm studying for my sermons, I read the text first. I go to the text first. If I can get my outline and everything from the text without going to the commentaries right away, boom, I do that. Yeah. And then once I get that done, then I go to my commentaries. Here's the big blessing of commentaries. They just show you if you're right or not. As you get better, you go back and go, oh, crap, I missed that. I was way off, you know. Um, I remember one time reading, talking with Bob Thune and and Porterbrook, and we were interpreting a passage, and it was like a passage on fear or something. And, oh, the the, the disciples in the boat were afraid of the Mm. waves. They're afraid of being overcome. And then Jesus stills the storm. And then they're afraid of him. Yeah. And I was like, hmm. Immediately my mind went, hmm. I wonder if it's a different type of fear. Like if it's like they're in awe of him. And he's like, Bob's like, hmm, I don't know. Do you see that in the text? <laughs> and I was like, no. no. He's like, all right, then. It's probably wrong. <laughs> and I was like, wah, wah. I was like, because I was, you know, immediately I'm thinking, well, yeah, it says fear, but. Disciples can't be afraid of Jesus. And it's okay to ask that question. Yeah. But don't just, again, look up at the ceiling and, no, I think that's probably right. Go back to the text and say, does the text Yeah, does the text answer? say that? And then yeah. if, so if I wouldn't have had a Bob there to, to do that to me, mm-hmm. then I could have went to a commentary. Yeah. And it, the commentator is going to say, this, these are the same exact words. These aren't different words. He's not talking about it, a reverence and an awe. Mm-hmm. They were scared of the waves, and now they're scared of Jesus. Yeah. Because who says to the waves... Be still. The disciples are like, we don't have a category for this guy. Mm -hmm. (laughs) They were freaked out by him. And so that's helpful to have a good commentary that you can go to, to reference, um, you know, help you answer the question, help you interpret that text. Okay. Um, And the best thing to have, now, if you're you're aspiring to be a pastor, aspiring to be a scholar, um, I would recommend you get Logos Bible Software. I've got Logos Bible Software. I've had it now for a decade. Um, I have something of the realm of like 19,000 books in my Logos Bible Software that can I can search really quickly. I can study it in the Hebrew, in the, in the Greek, in the Aramaic um, without actually knowing those Hebrew, uh, Aramaic, and Greek. And so it's, if you're wanting to go to the next level, the Logos Bible Software, it's a very expensive investment but it is uh, amazing. Okay, so your Bible, your Bible time, you pray and ask for God's help. You observe the text, what is there? You interpret the text, what does it mean? Now, lastly, we apply the text. You've got application. What does this mean for me? What do I do? What is God asking of me? So, Now what? 
this is where you, it's, it's a benefit and a blessing to be painfully specific. If you come out of a Bible reading, what do I need? Well, I need to be a better person. <laughs> True, but that's terribly general and it's not a, what do you do? I need to be a better person. What does that mean? What do you mean? I remember one time that I was reading and I was like, I wrote down, okay, I need to remove the word idiot from my vocabulary. I had a guy tell me one time, listen, people call me names all the time, but when you call me an idiot, I actually believe it. (laughs) And I was like, really? He's like, yeah. I was like, my bad, dude. I just, I'm like, dude, you're an idiot. Like I I just would say it (laughs) in a kind of a flippant way. But then realizing he was like, my weight, my words had some weight behind it. And he was like, when you say it, I actually believe it. And I was like, that's not very pastoral. <laughs> I need to take the word idiot out of my vocabulary. I remember writing that in my journal one day as an application point of some, some text that I was studying. So what I want this to happen is I want this part, this application to always end in faith and repentance. I want there to be something um, I need to do, like I need to believe this. This text is telling me I need to believe that Jesus will take care of all my needs, right? This text is telling me I need to put my faith in Jesus Christ and not in my own performance, and I need to rest and not be anxious, Hmm. right? This text is telling me that I need to take the log out of my own eye. What is that log? Hmm. That log is right now... Um, I am not reading my Bible and yet I'm going to missional community and acting like I've got a thriving relationship with Jesus Christ and I've got people, I got Bible answers for people, even though I don't have that going on right now. I need to take the log out of my own eye. I need to start reading my Bible again and start praying again. And then I need to help my brother take the speck out of his eye. And that speck that I see in my sister's eye is blank, right? We're getting painfully specific here. One of the, one of the, a couple of questions I like. How would I be different if I really believed the scripture? Hmm. What would my life look like if I really lived like this was true? Again, we can go back to Matthew 6. If I really believed in the providence of God, that God takes care of the sparrows, he takes care of me, much more does he take care of me. Mm-hmm. What would my life look like if I really believed that? Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. Be painfully specific. That really is a life-changing question. Yeah. If, you can, if, you, and if you ask yourself that every day after reading the Bible, what would my like, life look like if I really believed this? Right? And so you're saying, what do I need to believe here? Where do I need to repent for not believing it? That is just, those are good questions Mm -hmm. that help you apply the scripture in a really good way. So if I had to be really simple, I would say we are reading, we are reading the Bible. We are kind of recording what we see. And then we are reflecting on what we see. And what, it, and what it means in our own life. What it, if I read that, 
I'm going to write it down, record, I'm going to reflect on it, and then I'm going to say, okay, how, what does that mean for me? How is that going to make an impact in my life? What is the Lord calling me to do, calling me to believe, calling me to repent, calling me to obey in this? Now, what's fun is you can do this alone. You can do this with your family. You can do this with your spouse. You can do this with your fight club. You can do this with your room, roommates. You can do this with the missional community. That's the process. So we've got pray, observe, interpret, apply. Any thoughts, guys? Hmm. I was just thinking about that last point there and how encouraging it's been to me. There's a way that people, I think, apply their Bible study in a way that really puts me off. <laughs> and where it's like, look at this. I mean, it, I think it's not done ill-intentioned, but it's like, look at this cool insight or this thing. And it almost kind of seems like flaunty. Like, look at this thing that I read today. And it almost comes off like, are you just trying to tell me that you read your Bible? What's encouraging to me and what actually spurs me on to be like, man, I want to get back in my word and I want to find this thing for myself is when people are like, I read this scripture and this is helping me interpret this situation in my life or, hey man, I need to repent to you for this because I read that like God revealed this to me in his word. And it's like, mm. oh, it, it reminds me that God's word is living and active and it's mm. sharper than any two-edged sword and it's getting, in, it's getting into people's souls and it can do that for me. And so, you know, I think it kind of takes this Bible study thing. We can have a motivation that's just, I just want to be a theological bobblehead or I want to be a Bible, a Bible guy that can spout off verses. That's great. But if it turns you into a repentant, um, humble human being who encourages others and reminds them God's word is working in my life. That is a, such a wonderful application to strive yeah. for. It's so weird that you, you've nailed it there. <clears throat> there is, you can be sitting in missional community and somebody applies something they read from their Bible and it's so hollow. It yes. rings so like flippant and so like intellectual and so like showy or there's something about it that it's just like off-putting. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? And there is a way to read and interpret and apply the Bible that is that it is for theological points. You're mm -hmm. doing it to feel like you are somehow super spiritual or really in the know. And the text, you're reading the text, but the text isn't reading you. Ugh. Yeah. Yeah. And that when Bible study, like if you're in seminary, yeah, yeah. Just you're reading the text. You're trying to figure it out. What does it say? You're basically just, what does it say? Interpretation, getting it, getting it, getting it. But the purpose of the Bible isn't just to know the Bible. The purpose of the Bible is to get to know God in a personal way. And by getting to know God, you get to know yourself. Yeah. So what John Calvin says in the Institutes of the Christian Life, that nobody's going to get to know God unless they know themselves, and nobody's going to know themselves unless they get to know God. Mm -hmm. And so there's a, I'm reading the Bible, but the Bible is also reading me. And faith and repentance is the goal, not just, you called it a theological bobblehead. Yeah, yeah. Not just knowing a lot of doctrines, yeah. not just knowing a lot of scriptures, um, and so there's a depth, there's a depth of character, and relationship with God that is bred in 
me reading the Bible and the Bible reading me. And then when I, then you bring that into missional community in a humble way, it, you see it make sense to people. It bring life to people. It's like the, the spirit blows into the missional community and there's weeping or rejoicing. And, and it's not like, Oh yeah, I just had this nice insight today. Wasn't it so cool that Joseph did this and he did that yeah, and he did yeah, that? Yeah, yeah, I just yeah. can't believe I saw that. And it's like, what the freak does that have to do with anything? Yes. Yeah, it's an interesting point. If you're reading your Bible and you see some interesting tangent that you can go on and you can find out this whole new, did you know the bread in the temple was made of this yeah. and that? And then it meant this and that. That is cool. It is cool to find out all those things. But there's something, you're doing something to the text there that is divorcing it from its cutting mm-hmm. personal mm-hmm. relational impact. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. you're studying something in a non-personal way yes. and nerding out over it rather than what it is. The, the, the word of God, that is the only way I can know God and I can know myself. Right. Yeah. And so there is definitely a danger to to approaching it in that head only intellectual yeah. manner that's dissecting it. That's how that's how the liberals read the Bible, honestly. Mm-hmm. That's how liberal scholars read the Bible. They read it disconnected from it. Mm-hmm. So it isn't allowed to read them. It isn't allowed to read their motives. It isn't allowed to convict them. Yes. They read it just as a literary document. Yeah. And that's why they don't understand it. And they don't understand the God of, God of the Bible. So Interesting. Any other thoughts? Hmm. Good. All right. Hopefully four steps. Pretty simple. Ask God to help you. What does the text say? Interpretation. What does it mean for me? Application. What is God asking me to believe, to repent of, to turn from, to obey, etc.? Do that every day. And your time alone with God will be more fruitful, I can guarantee you. Guys, if you've got any questions, email me, justindean at sacredcitychurch.com. Thank you for your time. We love you. We are praying for you. God bless.